that part of the Christmas story, uh, you know, depending upon how you were raised and where you came from and everything else, I remember saying those words many times. You stand up and turn around and face the congregation and had to recite those words. And when you're about, you know, five years old and eight years old, you have all these little emphasis words and you do all this kind of neat stuff. And, and you kind of, uh, the story begins to become ingrained or a part of you. And I think that's part of, you know, part of the blessing of memorization, part of the blessing of of doing those kinds of programs and even sometimes repeating some of the same story over and over again. This is a a familiar one for you. I don't want to cover every little bit of it. I do want you to know that um, the account of Mary and Joseph and the situation uh, is, uh, you know, well talked about. Uh, The the part I want to focus on for tonight is particularly the message of the angels uh, and the shepherds eventually respond to it. But uh, it says, uh, as the angels appear, there's several things that come in that ministry to them. The first one, if you'll look in verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be terrified. No longer be afraid. Do not be afraid of us. Don't be afraid of these circumstances. You do not have to deal with fear in the same way. It's a a really powerful uh, statement. Angels frequently made it. uh, When they would appear to someone, it says, Don't be afraid, it's me when the angel appeared to Mary or the angel appeared to Joseph or anything else like that, you can imagine uh, not only was there a single angel, but now it's a multitude of angels. And so it must have been uh, awe-inspiring, obviously, to say the least. Uh, We have record of people seeing the angelic host in the Old Testament, and they are basically stunning to behold because for the first time, you actually get a sense of the otherworldliness of things that are going on so many times. Like I said, we're so locked into our little three-dimensional world sometimes, it's very difficult for us to imagine the battle being waged around and those people who aren't even people in that sense, the angelic host, who are involved in the spiritual well-being of the shepherds, who are literally participating, breaking that kind of invisible barrier, that barrier between those spiritual warriors and you and I. And uh, every once in a while, we get to see them. Every once in a while, we get to experience them. If not directly, we get to experience them indirectly by reading about them in Scripture. Uh, You remember in the Old Testament where the one person was terrified, and I think it was the prophet Elijah or Elisha, I can't remember which one it was, but he asked for God to, you know, reveal the angelic host. And around them on all the mountains, covered in as warriors, these giant uh, strong angels, these warring angels, these military kind of uh, angels are sitting there ready to do battle for the people of God. And uh, the key, of course, is understanding that in this moment there is a message coming to you. There's a message breaking into the world. These two worlds are being split wide open so that you understand what the angels are seeing and tasting and experiencing, what they see from their side, And they're bringing that message and that truth down into our side of the situation in the world. And we get to hear it from them in this context directly, or at least the shepherds did. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The miracle, of course, of Christmas is it isn't limited. The message that is brought at Christmas is for everyone. Uh, people argue and debate about that sometimes, like who got saved and who did Christ come for? And the answer is he came for all men, all mankind. He longed for all men to be saved. And so here in this moment, it says, I got great news for you, for all people today in the town of, uh, town of David, a Savior, he is the Christ, 
and the Lord. You got all kinds of terms applied to Jesus here. Okay? Uh, the Savior obviously identifies the one who will rescue you. That's that term that refers to your rescuer, the lifeguard, the one who calls you and pulls you out of the condition that you're in. That Savior, that guardian that pulls you out. That's that, that term that applies that. The word Christ, the Christ, refers to the promised one, the anointed one. It is the technical term applied to Christ that is his title. He wears that title. I am the anointed one. If you remember in the Old Testament, kings were always anointed and people were anointed. And that was the signal that this was the person that would be raised up. So King David was anointed. Later on, at the appropriate time, he became king. That's that sense of anointed. It also refers to the one who was promised. And so it brings up, this is all the prophecies are coming together in this one individual's life, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, and then the last one there, the Lord. And Lord, it means the master, the one that leads or rules or the supreme authority. So in in just this little announcement, all the titles and almost every one of the names that are related to Christ, at least in terms of of some of his earthly stay, are, are laid upon him, and the, the, the disciples, or excuse me, the, uh, the, the shepherds would be hearing these things and those would be what those th- words meant. For you and I, we kind of go Savior and, and we go Christ and we have these different words. They may or may not uh, have the same sense unless someone explains them to you like I just did. But for the shepherds, they were understanding what was being told. This is the promised one. He's come. The one you've all heard about. The one you've been anticipating. This is the master the one who rules, the one, the supreme authority over all of our lives. This is the, you know, the king, and that kind of flavor would all be a part of that. This will be a sign to you, which is fascinating when you look at it. The sign is uh, a nothing sign, right? You're going to find a baby with diapers on. I mean, that's the equivalent of this sign, all right? Uh, so the, the sign itself that they, they give to the disciple, or to the shepherds, excuse me, is a relatively insignificant one. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. So you've got a couple of things going on there. Obviously, the significance is the condition of the child, the circumstances in which he is lying. Uh, Normally, babies wouldn't be lying in mangers, and so that would become a sign. It would be a standout point. And uh, the wrapping in cloth, that wasn't all that unusual. Uh, Cloth, uh, the grave cloth, was the same material they would wrap you in when you died. Uh, they did not have pampers and all the rest. So at best, they would wrap you in these claws. Those claws could be wrung out, shaken out, rinsed out, and all the other things that would have to be done as mothers would take care of these children and wrap them in these claws. So you've got that flavor right there. Then the next moment, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. <clears throat> now, periodically, we get those little glimpses in other words, this is, uh, in, a, in a way, you're, you're stepping into almost like revelation, into the, into the heaven, into understanding that, you know, that there's this passage that says, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. You begin to understand as this unfolds, even if you refuse to praise God, the heavenly host will not cease to praise him. Even if everyone on earth turns from praising God, God still will be praised by those who are with him and in his presence right now. 
All heaven breaks loose yet today when one sinner repents. And if we get into that condition or state where, you know, there aren't anyone left, any righteous left on the planet, you know, like it was at the time of the flood or way that probably is going to be similar at the time of the second coming, then we become very much aware that still heaven sings. So even if earth won't join, heaven knows what's going on in this moment. Even if earth doesn't comprehend the miracle of the Christ child being born, uh, heaven understands it. And the other thing that you always have to be alert to, and I, uh, I like sharing that, I've shared it with you before at the Christmas time, is that, that backdrop of the, the dragon hovering over the child being about to be born, that sense of what goes on in Revelation, where Satan is seeking to destroy this child, heaven's breaking loose, because they know what the implications of the birth of this Christ child really is all about. And you set in motion all those things that take place in Revelation chapter 12. And so we have this little window, this little moment, where with this single angel, all heaven breaks loose. And sometimes when you're all alone and you feel like maybe no one else in church is singing, maybe you're the only one praising, Maybe uh, you feel like the whole rest of your family's distracted with whatever. One of the visions I want you to hold up for yourself is to try to remember the company of heaven joins with you. Try to remember when you're all alone and praising God in the car, don't just picture yourself being alone, but understand the vastness of what God is calling the heavenly host. All those who have gone before that are praising God even now. All those who are with God in his presence that are praising him. All the elders that it says fall down and worship him that we pick up in the vision of Revelation that we begin to understand some of those things that are going on in continuous way. These angels, all of a sudden you're standing there, you're that shepherd with his mouth open, but ultimately you begin to recognize even in your situation that the company of heaven breaks loose. Now here's the phrasing, glory to God in the highest, And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And on earth peace on men on whom his favor rests. What kind of peace? You know, sometimes you you don't always catch that and you try and figure out what, what is he doing because certainly it didn't bring any peace into Mary and Joseph's life. Right? Oh, let's see, what is peace? Well, you, uh, at eight days, you run them down to the temple, and maybe by a week or two later, you got to get them moving toward Egypt because Herod wants them killed. That's not peace. Okay? Uh, the Jews certainly aren't at peace. Herod is certainly not a peaceful individual. The Romans don't like the Jews. There's no peace in Palestine, per se, of what we would normally think of peace. Uh, you're kind of going, what kind of peace is really going on here? And so one of the things I need you to be alert to is that glory to God in the highest because what he has done is he has brought peace between you and him. There is no more battle. There is no more shame. There is no more war. There is no more embarrassment. There is no more guilt. He is bringing a level of relationship into your world that removes all of that. The word is reconciliation in Scripture. The word is that you have been reconciled to God through Christ. 
The word is that all of the things that make you feel guilty and ashamed and, and, and uh, you know, look back in your past and all those things you accumulate, God is coming down to uproot or remove them. In other words, he's bringing a level of communication, of unity, of intimacy between you and him that has not been tasted between man and God since the Garden of Eden. God doesn't just want to have you saved. God wants relationship with you. God wants an intimacy with you. God is asking not, can I just take away your sins? Can I make you feel good right now? Can I make your cold go away? Or can I make you a little bit more peaceful in your mind in the stresses of the world? He's asking for an intimacy with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to have that closeness with you. That proximity that he had with Adam and Eve is what he wants to bring back into our world. And so when he's identifying that there's this peace on whom God's favor, with men on whom God's favor rests, he's trying to identify for you the kind of intimacy that God is trying to create with you. So many times we kind of go, well, thank you, God. That's really nice. And we get busy with our life and we do this stuff over here. God's looking for an intimacy, a communication, a touch, a a working together with you, an opening of your eyes and hearts in ways that you can't possibly comprehend. God is trying to pour back into your life what circumstances and sin and thousands, thousands of years of sinful history have ripped and torn from you. God is trying to give back to you uh, a closeness with him so that you have such an intimacy, you begin to go, yes, Lord. Remember the story, Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen it? There's these fiddlers, he's walking down the road, and he's talking with God, and he's going, would it be such a big deal if I was a rich man? You know, why couldn't you have made me rich? I go, if you learn nothing, please catch the flavor. Is that the kind of intimacy God wants with you? Yes. Only multiply times 10 or 110, and certainly Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof is no example of a man filled with the Spirit and the intimacy with God, but he certainly comes up as an example where you begin to understand, is God concerned about walking with me that way? The answer comes back, yes. Does God want that kind of intimacy with me? Yes. Not only have I been reconciled and my sins have been washed away, but reconciles, it means to make two enemies friends again all right it's a little bit like the difference let's suppose you divorced your wife and you're no longer together all right and uh, a situation comes and it says you are now reconciled well reconciled doesn't mean okay you stand there i stand here i guess we're back together again reconciliation means intimacy reconciliation means communication reconciliation means acceptance reconciliation means wholeness Reconciliation means the power of God poured into you. Reconciliation means all that God ever wanted for this relationship to be restored into you, to be put in you. And so you begin to understand the peace that God is trying to generate within me is the closest. Remember in the Garden of Eden prior to sin, the the concept must have been that they were able to walk and just talk. He'd say, Adam, name the animals. Okay, I think I'll call that one that. And he brought the woman to Adam. He said, oh, God, this is so cool. I call her woman. She was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And there's this intimacy. And then sin enters the picture. What's the first thing that happens? The war begins. The split begins. The separation begins. Adam covers himself. He hides. 
He goes into the woods. He covers himself with leaves. He hides from God. He says, I was afraid. And so I hid. And God is looking at you saying, no, you have to understand, that's what I have come to destroy. I've come to destroy that separation. I've come to destroy that fear that enters you when you do something wrong, like somehow God's going to come after you. I've come to give you a different relationship. I want to do those things that some of those old songs, like he walks with me and he talks with me. I want to have an intimacy with you where you can simply go, God, you want me to go here or not? You ever met people like that? I love talking with people like that. I know there's some people like that, maybe they're maybe a little flaky, but I know a whole lot of people that have that kind of intimacy with their relationship with God. And it's continuous. And they're not putting it on, they're not trying to entertain me. It's just the way they function. It's just how they think, and it's the kind of intimacy they feel in the presence of God. And I look and I say, that is what God has wanted with you and me from the time he longed for you the very first day you were born, before you even understood who he was. God has desired that kind of closeness with you. And so, so many times, you and I get to that point, right, where you go, yeah, I believe, yep, Jesus saved me, I'm saved, and you just stop. And you come to church, and I'll have an intimacy with God, and maybe, uh, maybe one day you'll have a real closeness, and you'll have a tear come to your eye, or the Spirit of God will just rest on you in a moment, and, and something just you know, causes you to move and feel differently inside. Then you got a little sense of the presence of God, and then you settle that away and say, well, that certainly is not for me. And God whispers at you and says, child, this is what peace on earth means. This is what it means to have goodwill toward men. This is what I've been desiring to intimate with you all along. And so that's the miracle when you begin to understand the angels are saying, we're splitting this thing apart. The thing that has separated men and God, we're breaking it apart. Remember, it happens again when, the, when Jesus finally completes the mission. The temple curtain rips apart. And where are you invited to walk? Right into the presence of God, into the Holy Holies. That's the message. There is nothing separating me from God. There is nothing that is supposed to keep me running from God and hiding out in the woods trying to cover up my wretchedness and my sin. The only thing God asks for me is integrity in my relationship. God, I blew it. I need your help. God, I want to be a different man or whatever it's going to take. But you have to understand, in terms of the relationship that he's trying to create for you and I, he's trying to help you understand, I want this tightness, this closeness, this peace with you. I want you to no longer fear me. I want you to no longer put me on the outside or just kind of worship me up there on the altar. I want you to have an intimacy with me that when you lay your head down at night, you know I'm with you. When you walk through the shadow of death, what? I am with you. What are those passages trying to communicate? I want a relationship with you beyond anything you can fully comprehend. And so one of the challenges or opportunities or invitations I want to give you tonight is that in the Advent season, allow God to come on His terms. Allow God to enter your life on His terms for a change. Allow Him to to have you intimately take the time to begin communicating, talking, praying. What does it say? Pray unceasingly. What does that mean? Walking down the road. Would it be such a big deal if I was a rich man? You know, that's communicating with God. 
If that's where you got to start, start there. But ultimately, you have to understand God wants a closeness with you and an intimacy that changes everything that you think and feel. And so as God offers that to you, try to recognize when the angels break into our world and said, said these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. His favor rests on those he loves. You want to hear the miracle? In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world. You want to know he wants intimacy with? Every one of you. You want to know else he wants intimacy with? Every one of the people you know don't love him right now. That's the miracle of the Christmas message. God is not just trying to save them. He's trying to create and have that intimacy with you and I. And so as we uh, focus on that, I want you to just pray with me now, if you would. Lord, every once in a while, I begin to understand the power of walking with you, not just in a, in a moment, not just in the, the fervor of serious prayer, not just in the joy of worship, but I begin to understand that you have an intimate desire to be involved and in my life in ways that I can't fully comprehend. I understand the power of this text, Lord, but I also know I have so long to go before I begin to follow and walk with you as you've really called me to walk with you. So I'm praying right now with my brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus, that we would be willing to let you come into our world and into our lives and into our circumstance in a way that might be radically different for us. I'm praying that there would be just doors opened up and, and, and walls broken down and, and that we would no longer just lock you in a place of, of holiness and separation, but allow you to become intimate and work in our lives by breath by breath and heartbeat by heartbeat, that we'd begin to walk with you not with a kind of arrogance, but with a kind of a quiet humility, a kind of a treasure that the disciples might have felt as they walked with you along the seashore, able to talk and ask you questions and, and be intimate and talk with you in that kind of way. I pray, Lord, that the thing that you're trying to restore in that relationship between God and man, that we would just begin to taste that more every day. And I pray, Lord, that we would see others through your eyes of love and tenderness, and that we would understand the angel's message, that you have a desire to be that intimate, that close, and that loving, and that caring, into the life of the people we know don't love you even at this point in time. And so, Lord, help us to enter into it. Help us to taste it and experience it. And in the fullness of your presence in our lives, pour out into our lives a, a willingness to share you with others. And, Lord, help us to live that moment by moment and day by day. We pray for your grace to cover us tonight. We pray for your healing to rest upon those that are sick. We pray for your wholeness to be restoring our lives, Lord Jesus. I ask that you would bless our children in the challenges that they deal with day by day. I pray that you'd guard their minds and their hearts against the temptations and destructive forces that try to uproot their faith and destroy and compromise their life. I pray for people in difficult financial situations, Lord. I ask that they would be touched by your spirit, that you would open doors of opportunity, that you'd give them new ways of uh, rearranging their money and new ways of uh, earning money or whatever might be needed. I pray that there would be a, a gracious uh, gifting of people that would just respond to the needs of those who are hurting. 
And I ask, Lord, that in the middle of all of this, you would continue to work in our fellowship and in our own individual lives. I pray, Lord, for those who uh, enter Christmas time without law, with, with loss of family or friends and, and deal with different degrees of loneliness and aloneness. And I'm asking, Lord, that in those moments of loneliness, they would understand the angel hosts that walk with them and the company of heaven that surround them in that breath and in that moment. And I pray, Lord, there would be such an intimacy with you that each one of us in that moment of fear or moment of anxiety or stress or duress or whatever else we might be going through, that we would begin to understand that you are indeed with us. So that whether it's uh, something as small as a test or a quiz or a, a moment of turmoil or something as great as the shadow of the valley of death, Lord, that we would know that you are with us. And so, Lord, work that in our hearts and just bring us into that intimacy with you. Help us to understand that your grace rests on us and that your goodwill is being poured out toward us and that there is a closeness that you want in our relationship with you. Bless us, Lord, in all areas of our life and hear the prayers that your people bring before you now tonight. If you got something to add to our prayer tonight, please do. Lord, let your mercy be poured out on your people tonight. Let your grace uh, cause us to have one foot in heaven, one hand holding tightly onto the message of the angels, and the other hand reaching out 
to live in the power of your spirit, and to live in the love of other people the way you love them. Pour that into our lives, Lord. We pray this in your name.